0: editing nicholas here this episode has quite a bit of echo in it unfortunately there were some technology malfunctions while we were recording this so after some grueling editing this is the product we were able to come out with but the content and the experts in this episode are so fascinating you will not want to miss it
1: i'm doug duran a landowner trying to be a conservationist
2: I'm Tabitha Panis, president of the Iowa Prairie Network. I'm Ryan Callahan, director of conservation at Meat Eater. Angela from Axe and Root
0: Homestead. Chris Helzer, the Nebraska director of science for the Nature Conservancy. I'm Judd McCollum from Working Class Bowhunter. Taylor
3: Keene, founder of
0: Sacred Seed. I'm Ryan Bryson, of Bryson Wildlife. This is Luke
1: Fritch. This is James Holtz. Joy
0: Van
1: Sam Soholt, Phil Ebert. Julie Meacham. And you are listening to the Prairie Farm. The Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm.
0: Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm Podcast.
4: Prairie Farm Podcast. Welcome to the Prairie Farm Podcast.
0: When I was in high school, I hung out with two very close friends, Peyton and Kyle. And you guys have all heard Peyton's voice before because, yes, that is the gentleman that Kent and I work with. Well, Peyton was a year or two older than us, so he could drive. Kyle had a very nice house with a huge TV that we could play Call of Duty on. So, what does Nicholas bring to the table? This sounds harsh. Nicholas brought other friends. <laughs> so uh, so he brought the party. I remember one time we were texting, Peyton, Kyle and I we were like, we wanna hang out. We're tired of just playing video games together. Let's do something. Nicholas, invite people. And I remember uh, one of them said, invite girls, right? You're a sophomore in high school, you're thinking like, or junior or something like, hey, just, just invite girls. We're gonna hang out with girls tonight. Uh, so I just texted all the girls that I was vaguely kind of acquainted with. Uh, it's like a bunch of guys too. And some of them brought their boyfriend, you know, and, uh, all of a sudden they're like 30 guys and girls at Kyle's house. And I remember I walk in the house and Kyle's dad comes up to me and says, Nicholas, who the hell are all of these people? (laughs) (laughs) They They were not prepared. So Kent and I scheduled a podcast with Taylor and Tabitha. And, uh, that, what happened next was kind of like that, uh, kind of like that event. Uh, we ended up, uh, Getting a secondary invite of Lance and Dustin through them. And then we hung out all day with a very knowledgeable man named Chad, who uh, will not be in the picture on Instagram. So sorry, Chad. But uh, we, Kent, on the way here. It's an awesome group effort. Yeah. Yeah. On the way here, Kent was like, you know what, we'll call it, we'll call it the... Prairie super friends. Or, the Lus
1: uh, Hills super, super friends. friends.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, I was adamantly opposed, but uh, here we are, a group of super friends eating at Henry's Diner and, uh, and doing some some podcast things. But I thought to myself, when you have six people on a podcast, and we'll get to the people in just a moment, what in the world do you do with six people? I don't even, I've never listened to a single podcast ever that's had six people or more except meat eater trivia. So today we've got a little bit of trivia to, to start us off. The winner gets uh, gets a $25 uh, Bass Pro gift card. I know we kind of we roll high here at uh, the prairie farm. And uh, we'll kick it up. But before we start asking those questions, let's just go around the table. A few a few of the voices will be familiar, but let's just go with names and, and what you do.
3: Taylor Keene, founder of sacredseed.org.
4: I'm Dustin
2: Clayton. I am
4: a naturalist here with Pottawatomie Conservation.
5: I'm Lance Brisboy, uh, Deputy Director with Golden Hills RC&D.
2: My name is Tabitha Panis, and I am the President of the Iowa Prairie Network.
1: And I'm Kent Boucher, the one who has to drive back today.
0: Yeah, yeah, you do. (laughs) I drove this morning. Man, so we are really excited. A lot of times, in most of my interactions, I'm the person that knows the most about prairie. And uh, here we are. The least knowledgeable in about every area of anything that I know anything at, uh, and, and it is really cool. I'm really excited. We've been picking you guys' brains all day, and, and I'm excited to keep doing it. But uh, uh, without further ado, should we should we uh, get this get Absolutely. this trivia started? Kent was was a little chicken. He did not want to uh, did not want to partake in the trivia. Well,
1: I thought it'd be cheap because you know I'm sitting there while you're coming up with the questions, and
0: you know.
2: It seemed ah. rigged.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah! yeah wow, well, was plus, the winner of the hundred dollar gift card last time?
2: Yeah. So.
0: Yeah.
1: showing up to get beat again. I think
0: it was like she had three for three, and Kent went one for three or something. Wow, way to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, I just okay. I have it yeah. fresh on my brain. Fresh wounds. All right, the- all right, all right. The knife in the wound. Pens <laughs> and paper ready. We're gonna have four total questions, and if there's a tie, we're gonna have a numeric tiebreaker like they do on mediator. So it'll be a Pretty tough question, and whoever gets the closest to the numeric number or to the number wins. Um, question number one: Name one of the four most common upland tree species found in the Lusk Hills. Just one, and upland being the key term there. So, so Kent right and right I right, right found right what we believe then was a good we'll source on this, and sure it was justice. Natural Resources Iowa State. So yeah, it better yeah. be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> Oh man, uh, naturalresource.extension.iastate.edu. But, are we ready?
2: Never heard of them, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> <saying>. a <laughs> <laughs> <and> Hawkeye fan. <laughs> All right, what, what, what do you got, Taylor? Hackberry. Hackberry? Baroque. Baroque? Baroque. Baroque?
2: Eastern Red Cedar, Juniperus, Virginiana.
1: We have two correct answers. And one almost correct answer. The correct answers are bur oak, shagbark hickory, black walnut, and black oak. Are cited as the four, yeah, four most common upland lus hill species. Hackberry though was a uh, lowland, mm-hmm. so that made that made the list for lowland species. But Man. Yeah.
4: Tabitha was showing off, so I'm gonna show off too. Quercus macrocarpa. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just ha- they uh. just have that on the top of their brains people i,
1: know. I wanted
2: so to ask creative. like uh, like upland or like the invasive cuz if you're talking i mean the eastern red cedar oh, is a native that's, good. that's but good point. just by like land mass the eastern mm. red cedar covers a lot of
0: land that's a good question
1: yeah yeah that is a good, good question point. i wonder if when they did their uh, survey here For if up. they counted like who knows maybe the most common tree is like some invasive you know like chinese elm or something like that you know
5: mm. but, but all
0: right
2: that's, a good, that's says, a good list that's a
1: good list just gotta count
0: baroque
2: who got the who did baroque and got it you two nice work
0: yep the, the, lance and Dusty. you both work here you both work here at uh los hills
4: <laughs> well i work i work you here, work right?
0: here, lance your, your position
5: isn't here with the lesson uh, another no, nonprofit, but we do okay. non we do conservation in the los hills mm. yep
0: well let's see uh let's see if you guys can can nail this thing yeah a little, bit, a little bit a little bit different here what outdoor company recently announced that all its profits will be donated to conservation efforts? What outdoor company recently announced that all profits will be donated to conservation efforts? Lance is already ready.
1: He knows.
0: Lance, you going two for two and all here? <laughs>
1: Everyone's probably going to know it when we say it.
0: Yeah. It was big. It was like New York Times uh, had an article about it. Um, Forbes had an article about it. Whoa, hey, whoa, no cheating over there. What's going on over there? <laughs> well, yeah, whoa. <laughs> Someone at least better be getting paid if they're giving an answer. Everybody got an answer? What is I'm just asking. I'm
2: just trying now? to look for some hints. And we weren't talking. It was just. Taylor's <laughs> so got a to get
5: good point. That one, right.
1: <laughs> so outdoor company we would define as like a company
0: that produces gear for people who want to be active. Could be no. motorized. Could be clothing. Could be kayaks. Fishing poles. Firearms.
2: I am so not a brand or store naming person. Good for you. Good for you. So I like, I like literally, I can only think of the two I wrote. (laughs) I can't even think of like another store. We'll we'll, we'll go (laughs) backwards
0: this time. Tabitha, we'll start with you.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay,
2: I guess my first guess was REI. Ooh,
1: That's That's a a good guess. That's a really good guess. Lance, what'd you get?
4: REI. Wow. I did bass Pro. it was the only one i could think of <laughs> you have that yeah. gift card on your brain right <laughs> that's, now. It. that's it i, I figured, figured it. that
3: was a, a plug for them but. and i said rei and then maybe patagonia
1: oh Taylor, oh, okay. so you should have gone
3: with your second guess oh,
1: patagonia, patagonia. Yeah. Yeah.
3: see i wouldn't really call them an outdoor company though yeah what would you define them as i mean they they engineer some of their stuff but it's so trendy and not worn by outdoor enthusiasts. Yeah, that's, that's probably true, that's probably true.
0: That's a fair point. But I think it started as like an outdoor. Yeah. I feel like it got trendy when outdoor, you know, started getting more I hot. think
1: it was meant to be kind of like North Face where it was associated with climbers because Yvonne Chouinard was, was a big. Dirt
3: bags. That's what he called it. That's what, what he called the what the what culture. it. Oh, really okay. bag culture? Uh-huh.
1: That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, so. Yeah, that was, the answer there was uh, Patagonia. But yeah, a great, a great uh, move by the company. You know, um, they're looking at, I, I guess, Shenard is what? He's got to be pushing late 80s, 90s. Late 80s,
3: early 90s. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so that's kind of the succession plan is, is uh, it's going to pass on to this trust that's just going to redistribute. I mean, they'll still keep up with their operational costs, pay their employees, and, but rest yeah, going to. It's at
0: 100% profit share. Went to uh, went to this conservation
1: uh, kind of a trust group, you know, mm-hmm.
0: a group that's going to handle the funds and place
3: the money as as needed. But it's in the family still, correct? The the trust itself?
1: That I don't know. That might be.
0: Yeah,
3: I'm not sure. I mean, there's
1: always
0: that those fun those fun uh, pretend nonprofits that are owned by real rich people that uh, shuffle money around, but mm-hmm. I don't mean, know. Ken, you want to bring us in on yeah, this next yeah. one? Yeah,
1: so here's the third one. So right to our uh, west, right to our right, um, my right, uh, we are very close to the Missouri River. According to, so this is, this is according to the Smithsonian Institution Bureau of American Ethnology, the word Missouri includes what form of water transportation within its original meaning or interpretation. So the word Missouri. We're looking for a form of water transportation
0: that would be included within that term. Ken and I were like real hesitant to put this question in because here's the deal. If the uh, Smithsonian said something about Native American word origin and then Taylor Keen said something different, I would go with what Taylor said. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah. he could put whatever and be like, yep, that's the right answer. But uh, we found a really interesting article that, that kind of talked about this. And there were actually several different looser translations that they had for it, but they all contain this one word. Yeah, so,
1: so there's a very common one that's also associated with words. So if you can think of that one, write that one down. And uh, maybe that can be our tiebreaker if nobody gets, gets the... One that we're looking for.
0: So, and and just so for you to get any sort sort of guess, it is a form of water transportation. You've never traveled on water or in water,
2: or yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I've I've heard of water in a book once, but I <laughs> I guess like are we lo- are we looking at the word Missouri? So it has to be like mm-hmm. so it has to sound like the word Missouri, but be like canoe. <laughs> But not canoe like
0: (laughs) no no the english word it would be the english word
2: okay
1: yeah okay i see what you're saying yeah yeah so if we were to translate that phrase into english like literally translate missouri into english what would that word state in
3: english are you saying that it's the translation of the indigenous term for that body of water right yeah the name the name missouri does that help
2: yeah i'm i mean i basically just got to go with canoe at this point
3: (laughs) Showing her
1: cards a little bit. You're
0: like the kid at the spelling bee sounding out how they are or, or at a spelling test, just silently taking the test and they're si- sounding it out. This, this one
1: time when I was in fourth grade, this uh, girl sitting next to me was copying off of me and I knew she was copying off of me. This is the best thing I ever pulled off, still yet to date. And I knew she was copying off me, so I pretended to be like, oh yeah, I just changed my mind. My answer is no longer two. And I pretended to erase it and, like, we looking, you know, and I very exaggeratedly drew a zero. And then uh, when we got our papers back, I got it right and she got it wrong. And she's like, How did I get this wrong?
0: Because <laughs> I faked, yeah, that's a nice Tricky. fourth grade kid pulling that's some right. moves. I would have just charged her money. <laughs> like, I won't tell anybody if give me a tenner. All right,
1: we got our answers, everybody
4: yes i have the wrong answer <laughs>
1: i'll start with we'll start with dustin this time then we'll go to taylor uh, and tabitha then lance you
4: know it's probably canoe i mean that seems like the logical answer but it seemed a little too logical so i put bullboat. boat oh. i thought that would be interesting if that were the case i, I don't like even know what that is yeah, so <laughs> all right so i got it wrong That's <laughs>
0: Well, while you got it wrong, please inform us what this wrong thing is. So those are those, uh,
4: the boats that they, the the tribes that lived up and down the Missouri River, uh, they made these boats out of buffalo hides that they'd stretch over like willow frames and -hmm. use those to navigate the the Missouri River. Wow. Never heard of them?
1: I I have not,
3: but uh, it pretty much sounds like the right answer, but we'll keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor, what'd you get? Well, I'm probably totally overthinking this, but uh, as a member of the Omaha tribe, I would be remiss if I did not know the translation of what people call the Missouri River. Nishuda, I mean, smoke on the water. So 18, late 1800s Bureau of Ethnology, steamship. That's what I would think that they would call. wow. Nick, you were right. Well, I'm going with Taylor's
0: answer. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. we got to hear the other ones first.
2: Canoe. <laughs> <laughs> you all already knew that.
5: <laughs> what do you got, Lance? I said paddling. Paddling? Oh, yeah,
1: that's good. One with a verb part of that. So here's what, here's what, this is from uh, 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 the, actually, the state of Missouri's website. Missouri Secretary of State. Um, it says, this is a direct quote from uh, Missouri.gov. Missouri gets its name from a tribe of Sioux Indians of the state called the Missouris. The word Missouri often has been construed to mean muddy water, but the Smithsonian Institution Bureau of American Ethnology has stated it means town of large canoes. And authorities have said the Indian syllables from which the word comes from mean wooden canoe
3: people or he of the big canoe. So it's not the body of water, it's the people. Okay, so that's, uh, where, that's
0: where the... Well, I think we got to give Taylor a point for that one because well, he Dustin broke it too.
1: down. <laughs> Dustin too, because uh, he described a canoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that was just a specific... Sorry, canoe. Lance, I it's Sorry, just
1: Lance. you. You already had <laughs> the first
4: point. Anyway. I don't want your pity points.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Good
1: call, Nick, on that, on that uh, happening where we get the real expert on it. Well, well he uh, yeah. know better than the consultant yeah, 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 source. Yeah. All right, our fourth question.
0: We're hoping that this one you guys can get.
1: <laughs> what language did the name "Lus" originate from? Where did the, orig- you know, what what beginning language gave the term that led to "Lus"?
0: You guys all ready? Yep. Awesome. Let's start with Lance.
5: German.
2: I second that.
3: Third. German.
1: Wow. Everybody gets it very good. It is a German uh, origin for that term lust. Now, the German, is that the German pronunciation too? Is it lust or?
4: uh, That's the way I pronounce the German pronunciation. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm,
1: Seems right. So, so there you have it. Still a German word really. We shouldn't even say originate.
0: So, does anyone have three points? And Taylor, I'm counting that number three for you. Two points. Two points. One. Lance, you got two. Kind of yeah, oh, we count the canoe. That was we the exact right count. answer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Two.
3: Two. Two? I don't know. We're all at two. I guess so, because my REI in Patagonia second. I feel like count, the Patagonia right?
2: counted. You said it. Yeah. I would count the Patagonia.
3: Well, let's just
1: take everybody to the tiebreaker. Though. Yeah, I mean, like we're, we're we're at, Nick's it sounds like we're headed in. Nick's got
0: a good tiebreaker here okay how much money you better know this answer because i do how much money was spent on crp by the federal government in 2022 yeah it's basically like stab in the dark unless you work in the industry
4: by the federal government by the
0: federal government conservation reserve program for anyone listening who doesn't know what that is
2: it's not the same in thing
0: what as CPR. Year? Just one year? Yes, just one year. And we're only talking, we're not talking about FSA employees, NRCS employees. We're only talking about payments from the government to producers. Yep.
2: I really should know this, but because I work in this area, but I don't remember numbers. That's
1: and all right. especially
2: when it gets above like $45, it just becomes a lot of money to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, whoever, gets,
1: whoever gets closest wins the tiebreaker here. Everyone got a number down? Are these
4: like prices right rules?
1: No.
0: Nope. You can be over. But <laughs> all. That's okay.
1: I always found it fascinating how that has shaped how everyone does these kind of games. Like the price is right. Oh, wait. But you went over. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so like, Where did that rule come from? Oh, price is right. All right. Everyone's got their answer. I'll start with you this time, Lance. 50 million. 50 million. Two
2: point um, six billion.
4: Two point six billion. Two billion. Two billion. Three hundred seventy-five million, four hundred <laughs> 319 dollars and seventy-eight cents. He is the price is right, man. Oh all man.
0: right man! Barker, what do we got? Why did we even do this? If we, we should have just given Taylor that extra point, so it was one point eight billion dollars. Very oh, man. Yeah. Hey, Taylor's going to Bass
4: Pro.
1: Yep, the
0: grand, the grand winner. My goodness. Very good. Very good. Well, thanks for engaging with us on that. And uh, if you were listening, if you got all the questions right, send me an email. I'll, I'll send you something. Now, if 100 people tell me they got all the answers right. I'm going to be suspicious. But uh, <laughs> he's going to send you
1: a blade of grass.
0: Yeah. So yeah, let's see. I'll, I'll send you a sticker. <laughs> we got some Hoxie stickers.
1: <laughs> but no, it was it was awesome getting to hang out with you guys today. um Uh, You know, the title for this, the Los Hills Super Friends is kind of a joke, but it did feel, it had that like super power feel when I was just like walking with all of you guys through the prairie here and just thinking about who all is here and, and, uh, just all whenever you are around people like this, it makes you better in some way. And, um, I, I really feel like I took that away today and, and, uh, the hike was just fantastic. I wish Chad could be here on the podcast. That guy is so knowledgeable and, um uh but but what i thought would be a good thing is getting everyone else's reaction so maybe um we'll go round robin here and uh i'll go first and then i'll go to tabitha to give you guys some a a chance to think maybe just state one thing that uh jumped out to you you know a perspective or you know maybe something you saw whatever it is that jumped out to you on our hike here at uh, the hitchcock nature center uh, where Dustin works and Chad works, and um, maybe just state something about it that really was impactful to you. Uh, for me, I have just never been in Los Hills Prairie other than just kind of driving through. Um, and by driving through, I mean, like, going on Interstate 80, and, oh, I think that might have been the Los Hills, you know, and, and then it's gone. Uh, but, like, actually getting out and walking on it, and just seeing, uh, Dustin was pointing out to us the difference between if you're on this side of the hill, you can expect this compared to this side, seeing uh, the which native species really did, you know, were very prevalent compared to some that, yeah, I can see a few of them here and there, but but all of that just enjoying a new ecosystem was what was most impactful to me.
2: Um, I enjoyed our hike so much and one thing I want to say thank you to Lance Brisboy and Chad Gravy for leading us on this hike. Absolutely. This is a piece of property that is not quite yet open to the public and it will be in 2 days. So it was super neat to see a sneak peek of that and mm-hmm. it's even more beautiful than I imagined in my head. But as I was driving here, you know you have a picture about what yeah. you're going to see and do and it was even more beautiful than that. So that was definitely a highlight but also um being able to listen to Taylor Keene this morning was just really amazing um and And I'm now uh, excited to buy his book when it comes out, as well as other books that he'd mentioned that have um, influenced him. So I thought that was really um, neat to get to listen to him talk about Native Americans on uh, the plains of the Midwest and how they interacted with prairies and other facets of uh, culture. So, um,
1: yeah, can you give a quick uh, promo for your book here real quick to our listeners?
3: Yep. Uh, going to be out in spring summer of 2024 with inner traditions press and the title is rediscovering turtle island An indigenous people's account of sacred geography in america awesome man
0: it, it's it's cool so you guys have heard us talk about the prehistoric prayer and actually when you're listening to this the first episode or two is out already Um, And uh, this morning, this all started because we wanted to get Tabitha and Taylor's opinion on different things about Prairie and the indigenous people who are here living in it. Um, And uh, yeah, it was really cool what their snippets they had to share. Yeah,
1: another promo is if you listen to a lot of audiobooks like I do, Taylor's reading it. So that automatically makes it an even better audiobook when you get the author's perspective as he reads it. So definitely uh, be looking for that. So Lance? You were on the hike. You're kind of our Lance. He doesn't get enough credit today, I don't think. He kind of like was the glue that pulled all this together. But uh, Lance is a great guy. Uh, met Lance up at Tallgrass Prairie Conference, and then uh, Lance and I hung out a little bit this spring. He uh, put up with hiking with my kids. He knows what I go through now. But but uh, no, we spent a day together. It was a lot of fun. Um, Lance from Iowa on Instagram. If you want to follow Lance, uh, but. But uh, Lance, what you—I uh, mean—you've done it a million times. What stood out to you this time?
5: Thank you for that. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I hike just about every day here in the Los Hills, um, and I think it's really cool. Kind of like what Tabitha said, but to be able to show people who haven't experienced it before, and to reflect and realize uh, how lucky I am to be able to do it every day. Uh, uh, a lot of people never see a prairie that <laughs> live in the Midwest in Iowa, so. Yep. Um, it's really cool and then I think seeing some of the Los Hills endemic species some ones that you don't really have in other parts of Iowa Right. Yeah. it's fun to see and share
1: yeah you showed me uh, like three of them that I'd never even heard of yeah, yeah just an incredible experience yeah very well said All right, Dustin, you work here, man. I do. indeed. is it still is it still beautiful and inspirational and all those things? Yeah, I
4: I think that's that's really been the best part of of today for me. You know, I see this place every single day um, and I love it. This place, it's a a really special place. And the more you get to know it, the more it sort of reveals itself to you. Mm. Um, The more time you spend out here. I think that's definitely the case. So what really stood out for me today? i've only hiked on these newer trails three or four times since they've been made um it's really nice to see how chad and the the rest of the natural areas management crew have uh have put those trails together and got Mm -hmm. them ready over they've been working so hard to prepare these trails Um, we do ask when you come out to the park uh be respectful if you come out here that's very important um everybody that works here everybody that works for pod conservation cares very deeply about this place about the landscape around us about the creatures that we share this place with about the relationship between ourselves and the rest of the things that live here um so when you come out you know these are your public lands so we we definitely invite you and and want you to come out to these places but we also want people to recognize that these are the the homes right for the for Mm -hmm. the native creatures that live here for the species that rely on these these areas of wildland that we have in iowa um, it was really nice, Kent. I was talking to you on our on our walk back. When you see something every day, um, you sort of get used to it, mm-hmm. right? You get used to the, the the beauty and the the appeal of it. So being able to see it through through new people's eyes, mm-hmm. through people mm-hmm. through the eyes of people that have never been or spent time in the Los or or Hitchcock Nature Center in particular, um, to see sort of the wonder that people can have for this place, and and remember how maybe the first time. I visited this place how i was inspired yeah. by that same you know presence and spirit that, that this place has so that that was really nice for me
3: yeah
1: yeah yeah that's awesome and uh yeah so definitely come out and see the place but uh respect it as uh as dustin said but nick and i kind of set the bar high you know we would never been here before and uh chad was telling me that it hasn't rained since like april it rained a ton today, so uh, we brought rain to a place that desperately needed it. That was very Uh, nice of you guys. (laughs) Oh, good luck with that, anyone who follows. I was going to say,
2: and thunder. The thunder was kind of magical.
1: That's right. And Taylor, can you teach our listeners what you taught me about the first thunder of spring, what the term is and and what that means?
3: Well, back to your question of what left an impression on me. Mm -hmm. uh, We have lots of stories in our indigenous cosmologies about... uh, the upper realm, the tree of life, which is the Axis Mundi of the universe, the lower realm, the middle one in which we as human beings reside. Um, but the rulers of the upper realm are, are the thunder beings. So as we were walking across beautiful less hills plains and uh sky was dark on one side and light mm-hmm. on the other and the thunder beings were speaking and I shared with everyone uh, a teaching of the Omaha tribe, Uh, that's what marks our new year or springtime. Mipahunga, the first thunder in winter. Some people call it snow thunder. Mm. And so um, that was always a a blessing when we have the thunder beings speaking to us. And uh, I was uh, just in awe of all of you around me because I am not a prairie, professional like you are. And I got to walk around and say, Dustin, what's this? Lance, what's this? (laughs) Tabitha, what's this? Yep. And uh, just learned so much. And to hear Mm -hmm. a scientific perspective uh, combined with naturalist perspectives was wonderful. Uh, To see the role of fire, which is uh, a part of uh, indigenous ag lifeways for Mm -hmm. sure, to see it so embraced by uh, Chad, and uh, all the rest of the folks here to see what it's done to transform and a couple of things popped out that chad said one was we were walking by and um tabitha couldn't help but touch all the plants that she was looking at and i was (laughs) just marveling at all the knowledge and he explained it had been a commercial corn plot and it's just almost hard to believe how much has been transformed and how much nature and birds and bees and insects and things were about there Mm -hmm. now um, the final thing that really struck me was, um, we were looking at, um, a plant and Chad brought up that he had allowed, uh, some, uh, indigenous elders to come onto the, onto the grounds and, to harvest some, um, medicine mm-hmm. from, uh, mother earth. And, uh, not all places do that. A matter of fact, it's one of my pet peeves where I go into places and you can't touch a flower, you can't do anything. hmm And, um. It's it's really important that humans and nature have a balance. So I thought that was yeah. wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah, very well said. Excellent.
0: Also, snow thunder is the coolest thing I've heard in a long time. The snow thunder. My goodness.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was that was a. Uh, you know, I I have said before that prairie is at its most beautiful right before a rain. I think. You know that that contrast in the sky that Taylor described, where it's dark on one side and light on the other. And I think it just makes all the colors pop, and, and it brings in, it helps you remind, you know, Dustin's been talking about this all day, Chad was talking about it too, and Taylor as well, uh, just how interconnected everything is. And sometimes we can forget about the atmosphere aspect of a prairie, but when it's, when it's talking to you, you don't forget about it, you know, that you, you remember that it's there. So it was, yeah, I love that part of it too. Dick, man, for you, man. What was what was most impactful? I don't know. I People, in your bathroom break.
0: It was a good bathroom break. I, I was nervous because I I left and I was like, oh, I gotta use the bathroom, and then I was like, Chad, is there a place to use the bathroom? Because I wanna I wanna respect the place, right? We just about that, and Chad looked at me. He's like, man, every tree's an opportunity, brother. I was like, awesome. So I fell behind the pack and used that opportunity. Um, So that was your most impactful moment? No, no, no. (laughs) Um, No, people who listen know that I'm not a hunter. Kent is our resident hunter. I have hunted most things, at least once. Um, I like to fish more, but in terms of my outdoors time, 98% of it in my life has been spent walking or hiking. I love hiking used to live out in uh, Northern California, used to go to Mount Rainier every other year. It's just really, really cool um, to do hiking. And 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 uh, I'll admit, sometimes I've thrown a pity party, be like, there's just all corn, there's nowhere to hike out here. And and uh, I have now been proven wrong, because that was mm. a really cool hike. And, and I would say for the landscape. Uh, and, and so my favorite part was was the people hanging out with you all and, and everyone having a different story. and. and and having different knowledge and, and uh, I love that part. But the thing that really struck me was the same thing when we were talking to Doug Dern about microclimates. I mean, 60 yards, totally different species. Mm. Or maybe, you know, maybe there's 50 football fields worth of an area, like there were some areas where there's lots and lots of June grass and it looked like some big blue stem will be up later. Uh, and they look pretty, uh, um, kind of uh, very similar. Um, not monolithic, but uh, if you could say monolithic for maybe twenty species. Whereas, but then there were some areas where you just go over the peak of a hill, and yeah. twenty yards before there's one species, and you won't find any of that there. That was incredible to me—the microclimates that the Los Hills creates due to its very strange uh, topography. I—I uh, I, that was—I will think about that for a long time. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. How many times did you crest a hill today, and then you like look down into that valley? And you're like. Oh, my that's so beautiful you know and uh, that's when I really start you know my brain starts to wander and imagine just sitting up there and a couple thousand years ago and seeing what was playing out before whoever you know
0: was able to enjoy that same view that that you know a millennia ago I've been uh, I've been training for a half marathon here recently uh, and uh, I've been in the quote unquote early stages of training for it for about two months uh, and I don't make myself run hills and my goodness I felt that today just, I, I mean I could run five miles and be fine, but then just walking up those hills, I was oh, yeah. gas. Yeah, there's, there's
1: some serious uh, hills. You do have hills. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna do our deep dive now. We have our Lous Hills experts here. Wish uh, again, we wish Chad could join us, but he's got he's got he's got to take care of the Prairie today. But uh, can we just uh, maybe start with? We know Lous Hills are kind of a rare formation on the planet. Where all do you find loss hills uh, ecosystems? All right.
4: Um, so the loss hills proper, so proper loss hills, and the way that we define what a loss hill is is it's an accumulation of loss that's deeper than sixty foot. So sixty feet or deeper. That's the point at which the loss begins to defy the underlying topography and make its own topography. Mm-hmm. So those are found. Loss hills are found in two places. Uh, right here in Iowa, along the, the western edge of Iowa. And also, there's a spot in China. I'm not sure, Lance, do you know where in China the oh, loess hills are? The Yellow River. The Yellow River? But that's why the Yellow River is yellow, right? Yep. It's because of all the. Oh, really? Las. Yeah. So, here and in China, uh, we get lost hills. Now, that's not to say that there isn't lost soil. In, in a great many places. There is in Germany, as we've previously noted, the, the word is German, there's, there's lost soil there. There's tons of lost soil in Nebraska as well. Uh, just, it is in this place, here in Iowa, as well as in China, where it piles up into these big unique or semi-unique um, geographical features that are the Lost Hills. If you look across the river from where we're at right now, you'll see a series of hills in, uh, in Nebraska and those hills are indeed made out of lust. Those are what we call the lowercase lust hills. Right? Okay. They're made out of lust, but they don't at any point go reach depths of greater than sixty feet. So they don't make their own geographical feature. They're conforming to the topography that's beneath them
1: that is that is really cool and there's actually going to be a video on instagram where you can see Dustin draw this out it's exactly. a highly technical drawing. on, on yep. the he draws out the diagram of the loss hills on the loss hills
0: in lust. on no, the lust hill that's in right. dirt with a stick yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right beautiful
4: you, you better put, put some, some suspenders, suspenders on, on your socks because they're, they're about to get, get knocked
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man no that's a great explanation and i had no idea about that with the yellow river um in doing the for our trivia part and looking up, I thought it was German, but I just had to verify. But then when I was looking it up, I started to see like some some resources said that translated to like yellow gray soil or something like that. Others said it just meant loose or like wind blown. Um, but then I also saw that it talked about how in the the loess hills in China, there's even. Uh, records of people had built homes in the side of those lost hills. They dug into them. That's
4: uh, yeah, true in Mississippi, in Mississippi as well. There's, there's a, oh, a, so a spot so. in Mississippi, I think Vicksburg, where the, the Battle of okay. Vicksburg happened, where yeah, the uh, the Confederate soldiers, there's lost down there. And in fact, you, you can, can even find some of the same glacial till in it. the lost that they have in Mississippi that you can find in the glacial till around here. It's really weird. Wow. Um, but they dug shelters in the side of that that lost soil that they had there in Mississippi to to sort of protect themselves from the union shelling that was happening at the time. That's crazy. Yeah, fascinating
1: information there for sure. So we we know, you know, where they're found, how they're built. We get that idea too. Um, But what makes them, so we have, we call this, we don't just call it lost hills, we call it a prairie as well, right? So what makes this prairie different from you know, like a uh, tall grass prairie in the middle of Iowa. Tabitha, you want to jump in on that one maybe or or Lance?
2: Sure. So, I mean, every, every area is so unique in a way that we really can't even quite uh, probably describe with science. Um, most of our prairies have been destroyed before we were able to even scientifically study them. We're really lucky to have a small percentage of our prairies left. So um, it's hard to say. Um, however, the, uh, like Dustin talked about the soils are kind of what creates this unique plant community Mm -hmm. as well as the aspect. So that topography creates what's called an aspect, which would be, are you facing, are you on a South facing Hill slope where you're going to get sun, hot sun all summer long? Or are you on a North facing Hill slope where you're going to be more shady, um, cooler conditions? Mm -hmm. Are you on an East facing Hill slope where you get sunshine in the morning when there's a lot more dew in the air when you're able to absorb better absorb moisture and sunlight you know that's kind of easier for plants to be on the east facing side of a slope than it is for them to be on the west facing side where you get the hot dry afternoon sun Mm. Um, so all of those factors as well as like the local biology and the soil is going to influence what plant types we have here Um, that's a big question to just why why are they here and why is it like this Um, but I mean, past people and other animals have acted as land managers, Mm -hmm. um, through time, you know, we have, uh, critters that dig burrows that bring up fresh nutrients Mm -hmm. into the soil for plant species. We have, um, yeah. So, uh, anyways, Lance, do you have anything to add?
5: Yeah. So one thing is that I think the lessons are kind of, uh, I mean, we're, we are like the middle of the country and so it's kind of where East meets West, so we have a lot of species where... It's their westernmost range, and then other species where it's their easternmost range. So some mm-hmm. of the species we saw today are found more in the sandhills and the great plains, all the way up to like Montana, New Mexico. Then they're found in the less hills, but nowhere east of here.
1: Yeah, I remember you guys saying mentioning that a few times today. This was I think was it was it you or was it Dustin maybe who said yeah this is the farthest this is the farthest. I yeah, there's quite answer. a few of those
5: species, and um, I think like tabitha was talking about the aspect I think mean, it's just because it's so steep and dry that it's more like a desert on those western and southern south facing sl- slopes uh, so you get species like yucca that's more of a desert mm-hmm. species do you guys have common yarrow here or western yarrow yes but i don't know if it's native is it well
0: the, so you can put it in iowa crp mixes but when i first started i was talking to a district conservationist And he said, yeah, technically it's native to Iowa, but to like the fringe Western part. And so they have to allow it in the mixes. And he's like, "Well, we really do recommend it. So we sometimes will put a trace amount, but it's really cheap. So you see other companies are like, you know, they, they dump it in if they're trying to create an economic mix. But I just wondered if this was maybe the West Hills was kind of similar to that for the Western Yarrow. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, something interesting that, uh, Tabitha mentioned too, with, uh, the burrowing activity i was just talking about this with nick recently i was out digging up uh non-native uh invaders uh cool season grass invaders in our june grass production field Do you remember this conversation nick and wherever there was a i would like look out there and be like, oh i think there's a little patch of fescue over there uh oh. i'm gonna go oh. yeah, i'm gonna go dig that up and then i'd get over there and it was all june grass but it was like more densely filled in and what would every single time I would do that, there'd be an animal burrow right there, you know, just where they were digging up some of that soil, but also going to the bathroom and and adding nutrients, you know, fertilizing the soil essentially. I imagine uh, maybe some of their food waste was was discarded there or whatever and decomposing. But yeah, this is a great point that you brought that up. I never would have thought of that, but that's that's uh, that's definitely true. Um, any uh, anything you'd have to add to that, Dustin? The difference between Lus Hills prairie and like tall grass prairie or short grass?
4: No, those guys good. are the experts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, Taylor, this one's for you. So, a couple times, and Dustin and I, we uh, we were kind of talking about man, imagine sitting up there on that that ridge and just like looking down at this valley and and maybe seeing a small herd of bison or elk or something down there in that that valley and there were people here that would have seen things like that. Do you, do you know what, like specifically to this region here, the Los the Hills part of Iowa, and I guess we could assume Nebraska too, the lowercase Los Hills, um, what indigenous people would have been inhabiting this area, you know, historically that we know of? That's yes. Um,
3: kind of depends, depends on which side of smoke, smoke on the water river mm-hmm. you're looking at so mm. if uh, we were on what is now the state of Iowa you would have the mm-hmm. highway peoples okay that were there and on the Nebraska side uh, you would probably have the Oto uh, close of course, of course all around here were Pawnee people and they were the ones who had been in uh, Nebraska Kansas uh, Colorado uh, for upwards of a 1,000 years to somewhere around 3,000 years wow. ago. Um, but it, it's just a function of time. It's a very fluid question, what peoples were, sure. where. Uh, if you speak to archaeologists about this uh, land, you'll see that uh, somewhere around 1,400, most of us left and then came back around 1,600. Mm. And so you had the Omaha's within that too and other tribes that were uh, close um but those right around the lust hills would be the iowa and the oto and probably the Pony.
0: with with the iowa and the oto and and um and their their cultures and how they interacted with the land with the lust hills have been desirable at all to live on or near
3: yeah absolutely anywhere near water um mm. over here in present day um, council bluffs uh, if you go up to the lewis and clark memorial you mm-hmm. can go down a number of trails but there's a natural spring down there uh, where the water quality is amazing mm. and i can only assume that is uh, certainly a spot of sacred geography
2: mm.
1: yeah that is that is really interesting um i have a story for you on that uh, property after we're off the air mm. taylor um uh so Definitely a place steeped in history. Um, yeah, something Sometimes I think there's, you know, we can look at time and, and it, it, earlier Tabitha was joking about how she remembers things, but she has no concept of when they happened <laughs> as far as time goes. <laughs> but we can almost, you know, you can be in a place and it's almost like your brain winds back that clock for you. And what was be, what's beautiful to us now Surely it was beautiful to, to people that are desirable then and and then to just consider how how their culture interacted with with the area and, and um, you know even getting some of the lessons in, in Native American culture and stories from you all on that hike helped paint that you know flush out that picture so that was that was yeah fascinating to consider that what um, wildlife populations? historically would have been here. Am I right to assume that they would have seen elk and bison down in those valleys, or were they not really? Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Elk, elk and bison have
4: would have been an important um, factor in shaping, shaping the, the landscape around here for sure, 100%. Percent. And then
1: the black bears and and deer, I assume. There's deer here now, plenty of them. But- yeah, there's
4: absolutely deer here now. Um, you, know, you know, we would, would have had the, the full uh, spectrum uh, of uh, plains wildlife here 200, 250, 250 years ago. ago. Wolves, uh, coyotes, foxes, badgers, um, deer, every Every class of small mammal, bat, every type type of bird. And so we we can see see a lot lot of those birds birds right now, and this place continues to be an important place place for migratory birds, birds. you know, these natural areas are so important for migratory birds. But you can imagine, Two hundred and fifty years ago, these mass migrations of birds moving across the landscape, these mass migrations of mammals uh, moving over the hills and 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 feeding on the grasses and the and the herbs that grew in the prairie. Uh, how important the river would have been not just for the people that lived here, but also for the, the wildlife that lived here annually when the when the Missouri River would have flooded. Right, it would have, mm-hmm. it would have fluctuated much more than it than it does today. Um, so you would have had wetlands interspersed. When we read about um, some of the early uh european people that traveled across iowa we read that the rivers were much different in that mm-hmm. time than they are today those rivers would have um, been considerably shallower oftentimes now when we think of iowa rivers we picture these sort of like miniature Grand yeah. canyons right that that would not have been the case yeah. before these would have been um shallow sometimes rocky little pebble-bottomed. Mm-hmm. Rivers increase, uh, that people would have traversed and the animals would have relied on. I think there's you guys probably, uh, Tabitha and Lance know the statistic better than me, but there's a significant portion of Iowa that was wetland, um, that it's not today. 30 percent is that about right? Wow, something like that, 27 30 percent, something like that is the number. Um,
2: and there's and, all different types of wetlands, too. Exactly. I mean, like, there's fens, marshes, bogs, wet prairie, wet meadow. That's so one we, of the coolest um, things is that riverine, we have fens you know? in, in yeah, Iowa. Yeah, I, think I think that's, that's so areas. awesome.
4: According um,
0: to Iowa State University, approximately 25%. 25%, 25% is, yeah, was, yeah, was yeah. wetlands. So, so you, you know, the, the, the landscape, landscape would have
4: looked, looked significantly, significantly different than it does today. Um, when, when, we we today. Um, when we look at these reconstructions, these prairie survivals, you know, and the populations of animals that we see on them, you know, we're obviously doing the work to try to to, to try to preserve, preserve these places mm-hmm. to reconstruct them to take care of them, them, them to be good stewards of them as, as we were talking about right. earlier but you yeah. know there's there's elements that are missing right? you yeah. know without without buffalo and bison there's a there's, there's an incomplete or i'm sorry without bison and elk there's, there's an incomplete relationship, relationship there right, there, right? Yeah. without that grazing element without Absolutely. Um, some of the native birds yeah. that would have lived here that are no longer with us the small mammals without the the large predators we're not getting a complete picture Mm -hmm. of what these systems would have looked like historically right that's that's we're getting a partial picture based on the evidence that we have and the tools that we have at our discretion to to reconstruct these places but they would have been a vibrant um wild system to rival any system on the face of the planet
1: Mm -hmm.
4: yeah yeah beautifully said
1: uh
0: yeah Uh, so real quick quick, before we continue I actually want to thank Tabitha because she's got to take off so thank you so much much for hanging out oh
2: thank you I really appreciate it it's been a pleasure to uh, hang out with you guys all day today
1: yeah for sure you to be at the Prairie Conference Uh, um
2: Yes, the North American Prairie Conference, um, June 25th through 29th, I believe. Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. I will be there. I will be there. Um, the less Hills Prairie Seminar is coming up this weekend, although it'll probably be in the past by the time whoever's yeah. listening will hear. Yeah. But the less Hills Prairie Seminar occurs in Monona County every year. And if you want to um, learn more about the less Hills and meet some other folks uh, who are Into this sort of stuff, some really amazing, knowledgeable people who are just so kind and generous also. Um, The Les Hills Prairie Seminar happens in early June every year. They have a website Mm -hmm. and a Facebook page, so you can um, go check that out and stay in tune for next year. Awesome. Awesome. Tabitha is the president
0: of the Iowa Prairie Network, and there is no one like her, but if you want to find people who are like-minded and uh, love prairie, and also many of them are very, very knowledgeable about prairie, Um, look them up. You just Google Iowa Prairie Network and uh, they have events in in different regions of Iowa and you can check those out if you want. If you are interested in in Prairie, that's a great place to be plugged in in Iowa.
2: Yeah, definitely. You can become a member. It's only $20 and then you can support us in our mission. Um, If you're interested in volunteering, we always accept folks who are interested in acting on any of our committees or even becoming a board member um, to do some of the fun stuff that we get to do. So Anybody who's interested, I love chatting with people, so they can reach out at any time.
1: Cool, yeah. sounds great. Thank Thanks you.
2: And sorry for that interruption. No, it's good. It's a good little commercial saying. there. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> Taylor, I wanted to when we were put when I was putting the script together. Dustin just did such a great job there of talking about a very big part, and you actually. The reason I, I thought, thought of it is cause you brought this up when we first interviewed you a year ago when Nick and I were talking about getting all the vegetation back and you go, and hey guys, what about the wildlife that's missing? From your perspective, what's it gonna take? I was such a developed landscape with so few of places like this that you know you have a you have the framework there for managing something like that. But we want it, We want to see it beyond just Neil Smith, you know, out out in Central Iowa, or, or in talking to Chad. The hope is to get bison and, and elk back here at Hitchcock. How do we just have that as a free ranging thing again in Iowa? What, in your opinion, has to has to change to get to that point again?
3: I think uh, most importantly, there has to be an open mind about what is what is nature. And mm. uh, we've had these conversations before, but um, in the book of Genesis, it speaks of uh, the dominion of human beings over the other aspects of the earth. And I think a lot of it really begins with that. I remember uh, spending time with uh, ranchers and farmers, and it almost seemed like a sin to them to not plant or use every possible acre mm. for economic uh, benefit, mm-hmm. And I was always just astonished of how can that be the religion. So it, it's got to come from uh, conservation groups who have that open mind and are not uh, embedded in, in their own uh, philosophical perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number of organizations that are doing great things uh, around here. Uh, Golden Hills RCD is doing Mm -hmm. some wonderful stuff. I've enjoyed uh, visiting the bison herd and Mm -hmm. they welcome them in. Uh, Broken Kettle, part of the Nature Conservancy outside of um, Sioux City is doing wonderful stuff with prairie restoration and reintroduction of uh, bison there and they're getting the true DNA herds and that's what Chad was talking about today. So I think it really begins with those conservation groups and um i'm always shocked and and uh pleased whenever i see these organizations and see how how open their minds and their hearts mm-hmm. are to trying to bring things back because uh, as dustin was alluding to, um you know wh- whenever we combine all of these things together magical things happen whether it's prairie and yeah uh, the animals, animals that are supposed to be here it can uh to bring, bring back, back this land, land to the grandeur that it was supposed to have by God and the Creator. Mm. Yeah, beautifully said, beautifully said. Yeah, so
1: we got to have every aspect of what was here to have that, I like how you said that, to restore to its grandeur of, of what once was here for sure. That hasn't been the case, though, right, Lance? Right. Uh, Taylor alluded to this earlier when he talked about what struck him with seeing some of that converted cropland that's already been returned to prairie. What is kind of like the land use history around the Lost Hills area?
5: So, because of the steepness of a lot of the slopes, they were never plowed. Um, so, uh, depressing fact is more than 99.9% of the prairies in Iowa are gone. But of that 0.01%, more than half are in the less Hills. Hmm. And that's because they were just too steep to plow. So they've been primarily grazed. Um, there are places where people tried to farm for a while and found that it just didn't work. And so they have reverted back to pasture. But uh, the reason we have the prairies that we do have in the less Hills is because they are just not farmable. And that's... It's um, an important fact. Yeah. And there relatively compared to other parts of the state there is more public land and there's also a lot of conservation easements in the lost hills on private land so uh i do think we have a long ways to go in conservation in the lost hills but uh it seems to me like we're doing fairly well compared to other parts of the state in the midwest Mm -hmm. yeah agreed yeah that's a great point um
1: with with the uh not being farmed part i did notice there are and I mean it's it's one of the hardest things about taking care of a prairie. There was some cool season grasses. Is it, and you mentioned that they would pasture on the Lus Hills. Um, would, is there, I mean, is the reason we're seeing, like even up on some of the high points on the ridges, we're seeing some cool season grasses that are established. Is it assumed that, you know, cattlemen of 100 years ago and everything else was seeded into, you know, European, non-native, cool-season grasses that, yeah, if somebody at one point took their bag of seed out there and threw it all over the hillsides too. Yep, I think so. I think
5: a lot of the lower parts of the hills, the valleys, were um, planted with brome, and then it's just mm-hmm. kind of crept up. And, you know, as we've discussed, without the fire and the grazing over many decades, mm-hmm. that brome just keeps encroaching. Yeah, yeah. and And
1: even grazing with the original grazers, you know, just having having bison and and there's even some really unique uh research now coming out i think alan savory um who's done of all places a lot of his work in like south africa i think right with grasslands grassland uh, ecosystems in south africa
2: he's not grazing with uh, bison
1: he's grazing with native grazers and uh, but the same thing holds true here in north america with our native grazers bison especially just the role that their hooves play on um, the prairie, you know, helping keep like some of those more dominant grass species from taking over, you know, by breaking up their root systems. stuff. we actually do some of that with our uh, big blue stem production fields. After so many years of being the only thing in there primarily is big blue stem, uh, they'll start to get kind of root bound and not, not produce as much seed. And, and one of the th- one of the ways that naturally would have been taken care of is by having those heavy grazers, you know, on top of them. So we'll have to hit it with a, a disc, you know, light disking or a, a light uh, a chisel plow, kind of rip at it a little bit to get it to respond uh, and, and be a healthier stand. But, um, yeah, it's all, it's all uh, a part of what, what makes a prairie work for sure. So, as we look at it, there's still needs, right? We just talked about some of them. What do you you think the biggest needs are right now for Los Hills Prairie ecosystems?
4: Ooh. (laughs) Uh, Where does he start? Um, Well, what are are the the greatest needs needs for Los Hills Prairie ecosystems? I think 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 biodiversity is super important, right? right? Maintaining Maintaining biodiversity, having a diverse... um, System uh, that, that can respond to all the challenges, challenges that it's presented with. If, if we look out here right now, we're in a, essentially, essentially our third, third year of drought. I was talking to Chad before we yep. came yep. in today. Yep. This is this essentially is our third, third summer of drought that we've had in a row. That in a row. Um, um, that's, that's stressful, right? That's stressful, right? Right? That's that's stressful on, on these systems that's stressful on, systems, that's stressful on the things that live here, but the plant communities, the fungal community for sure, the animal communities. That's a major stress. And anywhere you look in the world, more diverse a habitat, and ecosystem, and um, a natural area is, the better it responds to challenges, to stress, uh, to that sort of thing. So, so, so that's what I think would be one of the, our primary concerns is, is to increase the diversity and maintain diverse areas in the prairies, in the forests that we have around here, um, you know, dealing with invasives as they approach and encroach on native areas and, and indigenous plants, that's, That's a, another, another important thing, thing. That, that, that will also will help, help to support this idea of, uh, of increasing diversity and maintaining diversity in these areas. Um, one, one thing that, that I will say that I think that these places really need is um, love and recognition from the public. Mm. And, and not just any. You, you can love something, something to death, right? <laughs> right? <And> you can, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. can love things in a, in point, a negative yeah. way. Um, it, but, but it does yeah. need... All of us, we've made ourselves human beings, all of us, right? Have made ourselves the sort of dominant force that shapes the landscape, particularly in Iowa, right? There are places on the earth where that might not be entirely the case, but here in Iowa, that's definitely the case. Humans are the deciding factor on how the landscape is shaped and formed. Um, It's incumbent on us, those of us who care about these kinds of places, that care about diversity, that care about wild habitat, that care about wild places in general. To spread this message mm. to others and, and to get other people invested in caring about these places and coming out and seeing what we have going on here, um, and mm. then, then doing something about like that. Right. One of, of the things that I do here at Hitchcock Nature, Nature Center, um, I lead programs um, on wild edible and medicinal plants. Uh, these are really, really popular programs. Mm-hmm. And one of, of the main things that I'll tell people is that you know if you like the things that you see when you come out to this place, you know. know by, By all means, means. If, you're if you're walking through the forest and you come across a blackberry bramble, we'll eat, eat a handful of blackberries, bird, right? You're mm-hmm. a part of this place mm-hmm. too. What you shouldn't do is dig up all the blackberry plants, take them home, and mm-hmm. start a commercial blackberry farm yeah, where you right. raise blackberries and sell artisanal jams or whatever. <laughs> you you know, know, I mean anything, anything like that. You shouldn't, shouldn't come, come out to this, this place with echinacea. echinacea Uh, is -hmm. when When you recognize recognize the echinacea and then come out in the fall and dig it all up so you can make medicinal echinacea tinctures, right? Mm -hmm. If that's something that interests you, and I think that it should interest you, you know, try to to devote some some of the land that you have available yourself, your yard, even if you just got a quarter acre plot, devote some of that space to planting a pollinator garden, to planting elderberry bushes, to planting blackberries. And then you get to enjoy those things. You get to have the foods and the medicine that come from the natural areas, but at the same time, Rather than decreasing habitat, rather than decreasing diversity by coming to these places and, and harvesting from them, you mm. increase habitat for wild things, right? You increase biodiversity. You increase the, the opportunities that migratory birds have to find a snack in yeah. the autumn and in the, in the springtime. That goes a little bit outside of what your question was. Well, that, it's, oh, it's oh, that's part, I it's hard, part, hard part of part, what's
0: the need. I mean, I it goes so. really well with we, all day we've been talking about our human love to take from Earth. And Earth gives very well. And if we just take and ever give to Earth, then uh, we we will kill yeah, we will kill Earth. We and that is a very sad, horrible thought. And and so I think well, part of these the decisions the is to do something about that. Like you were saying, just start. Just as simple as like a little pollinator plot or having your own bushes or um, instead of just going somewhere else and taking it is to,
4: to give back. See, See, this is one of the things, things that, that I, I really, really like to, to stress to people. Uh, one of the great things, things that I've experienced doing programs with Taylor, Taylor uh, whenever, whenever Taylor would, would talk, talk about his sacred seed project, project, and he'd talk about, um, and I'm, I'm going to get, get this wrong, wrong, so forgive me, Taylor, me, Taylor. but uh, he, he, he would talk about the planting that they would do in the springtime, right? And the planting can only be done by women of childbearing age, and it happens after the first full moon, moon after, after the spring, spring equinox am i getting that close to correct, correct? Wow. So, so so that's people hear that people in, in western, from western from a western cultural background like, like most of us at this table, table um they, they hear that and then they think man that is, is so cool, cool. I, wish I wish that we, we had something, something. I, I, wish I wish that our culture, culture had some sort of um, traditions, traditions around around the natural, natural world, the way, the way that indigenous, indigenous people, people do, or, or people from, from other cultures, cultures do. And, and it is cool. And and, and they're the right to think, think that. that. But, but the, the thing, thing that, that they miss out on is that our our cultures, the the ancestors that we come from, they did have those traditions. Those traditions were existent. This is
2: What it it comes comes down down to is a relationship with with the landscape around us, a relationship with wild nature. And And when when your relationship relationship is one that's simply extractive and a relationship between
4: um, a person and a set of commodities, that relationship is is naturally going to to have some deficiencies. But when we encounter the world as as a living community that we're a part of, when we encounter living things as some kind of person that we can be in relationship with that we can build relationship with and honor through reciprocity then we develop a healthier relationship with the landscape then we develop ways of um of being in right relationship with the landscape around us and it wouldn't even occur to us to dig, dig up, up all of, of the blackberries, blackberries and, and take them home, right? It would, it would, that, that that wouldn't be a thing that we would do because we would understand, understand that we're in relationship with that, relationship that place and with the things that live there. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, very well said. Beautifully said, Lance. What do you think? What's the future art look like for Lost Hills? Look good.
5: Uh, I think for the most part it looks good. There are definitely challenges. Um, you know, there's a lot of woody encroachment onto the prairies that needs to be taken care of um, which again fire and grazing definitely help with that but Mm -hmm. you still need in a lot of cases a crew of people to go out and cut trees for days which i mean finding people to do that is hard yeah Um, another thing that
1: can we do a a quick quick commercial commercial there is there (laughs) a way people can get involved with that if they if they're interested yeah so
5: i think probably if most of the county conservation boards um, except volunteers for land management. I know Potawatomi Conservation does. Yes, (laughs)
4: they do. (laughs) So,
5: um, and then another thing, so Golden Hills does a lot of prairie seed harvesting, and that's we rely on volunteers for that. So Mm -hmm. we go out and get uh, that Lost Hills ecotype seed that really you can't really find anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some of the species that you can maybe buy from like Wyoming or something that grow in the Lost Hills. Um, Mm -hmm. So we are always looking for volunteers, especially in the summer and fall, for that. Um, and then I think, uh, I'm looking forward to, so they have cattle here now at Hitchcock and there are parts of Les Hill State Forest and some other public areas where they're incorporating grazers back into the landscape. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a really important piece that's been missing. Uh, the fire culture is really strong in the Les Hills and growing. Uh, A lot of the public agencies especially work together to burn each other's properties. Um, but we're missing the grazers on a lot of the Mm -hmm. landscape still we need to have we need to we need to have the bison back
1: and the elk back and yep and uh and, and in the numbers you know and the numbers that they once were would be would be fantastic for sure taylor what's what's your outlook on the future for uh i mean i guess it could be specific to the lost hills but just in prairie in general what do you uh, foresee happening and uh, what do you hope to see happen?
3: Just Just kind kind of of, um, going going back, chatting Nick 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 on our hike about prophecy and the role of that to Indigenous peoples. And last time time we visited, I believe I spoke about the prophecy Mm -hmm. of the seventh generation and uh, the return of uh, white buffalo calf to Indigenous peoples. And ultimately, what it signifies is uh, that all those children born after that. Uh, time period which uh started in 2001 and finished in 2007 all of them are the mm. seventh generation so for uh, us as indigenous peoples uh, those will become the leaders that will keep uh will bring our nations to stand tall again mm. to write ourselves out of the mock is the way described to me at one point mm. and all of those uh non-Indigenous children of the seventh generation are equally as important because they're the ones who are going to be ready uh, for that message. And uh, when I learned of that, when the fourth uh, White Buffalo calf was born in 2007, that's what I took from it. I was telling Nick that um, that's how all this got started in my book and sacred seed and everything else was, I was around a uh, Dakota spiritualist from... um, where the prophecy of the seventh generation comes from. And uh, I was was admonished to some degree um, because I'm of the sixth generation and we're supposed to be the teachers of the seventh. seventh. And uh, why I was admonished at the time was um, I was was not a teacher and I didn't know all of my stories. stories of my indigenous people's perspective primitive. and i took, took that very seriously and i uh, started, started a career teaching, teaching at the university, university level and trying to learn all these stories and teachings and to oh, share them, them with, with others
1: yeah yeah it's so important uh so the future is bright
3: yeah that's good that's
1: good I, it's, it's so important to playing that role of teaching the next generation and, yeah. and uh showing them the value we kept talking about that over and over again today uh, tabitha mentioned it when we were recording some stuff for the prehistoric prairie series
0: um and
1: chad talked about kind of like the thing that dustin was saying with loving something to death you know the temptation is to put up a barbed wire fence on both sides of the trail and say thou shalt not pass this fence but he says i understand even though sometimes it makes me kind of cringe when I see people trace off into the, you know, prairie and maybe degrade the landscape a little bit. He understands the value of them interacting with it and coming to love it and care about it and then want to preserve it and expand it. And uh, Tabitha said, you know, if we want people to really care about, Prairie into the future, they have to have those experiences where they love it, and that goes hand in hand with what Taylor talked about his role in teaching the next generation, and all of our role in teaching everyone around us the the importance of keeping areas like the Lost Hills around, and and uh, doing our part in whatever way that is it might be like Dustin said, growing some of the stuff in your own yard, or it might be um, just in bringing, bringing your kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews or neighbor. Out, out to a place, place like this, so they can see it for themselves.
0: Whatever that role is, or maybe or it's a like
1: growing seed, like we do Oxygen of seeds.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, there's a, a. There are many, many ways to. Well, we we call, call it conservation. As a naturalist, you, you could, could call it connect. I've heard connect, someone, call someone call it um, connectedness. They're, they're talking about connection to the earth, earth and, and and there's so many, many really beautiful ways. ways but but um, what they're, they're getting at through. I mean, even the programs and classes they teach here, but the main thing here, uh, at the, at the Los Hills that they're trying to provide is a place for you to have an experience. And, and when you have you an experience, hopefully it can spark a change or inspiration inside of you. you. And when, when your mind changes, um, and, uh, one person at a time, when your mind is changing, all of a sudden a culture is changing and that's when we can bring uh, good change to all the marketing and all the brilliance that we have at this table, we cannot force people to change. We need, as a people, to rise up and say, hey, we're going to do something different, one at a time. Um, Uh, Do you mind if I pull this out, Ken, or are you trying to...
1: No, no, I think uh, what you're saying is is great. Cool. Well, thank Thank you so much for hanging out with us today, and Uh, and, uh, as uh, I was
0: just discussing, uh, and you uh, all know, conservation conservation happens one mind mind
4: at a time. time.